This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm excited about this episode because it's a bit unique. Haven't done something like this just yet. I don't think anyway on this podcast. And that is that I'm releasing an episode, which was actually an in-person interview at our last champion event in San Francisco. So if you're not familiar with champion, I'll start there. Our champion group is exclusive to the men's side, the GoBundance men's side. And this is our higher net worth group, currently at $5 million plus in net worth uh, or a million dollars a year in net earnings uh, is the other way you can get in if your net worth isn't quite at $5 million. But that's the, the champion event. Champions get exclusive access to certain specific champion events, a champion Facebook group, a champion pod, and some other things like that if you're wondering exactly what that is. And by the way, champion, elite, whether you're not a millionaire yet, Go to GoBundance.com, apply, and we'll make sure we put you in the right the right spot, whether it's women's, men's million to five million, men's five million plus a champion, or emerge ascend if you're not quite a millionaire yet. We'll, we'll make sure the right, right group reaches out to you. But this is, especially as we go into potentially a recession, this is probably the best time to be around like-minded people that are going to help protect you uh, and you them in terms of whatever is to come in the near future. But back to the interview. The guest we had uh, that came in was exceptional. Everybody knew him, whether it was a 19-year-old kid up to my 70-year-old my mother. Uh, his name is Exhibit. His name is actually Alvin Joyner. But Exhibit was the name that most of us know him by because he was the star of a show called Pimp My Ride. He's an iconic rapper way back from the, in the days with Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg. He's He's one of that crew, which was incredible. And this interview allowed me to really explore before even meeting and interviewing him a ton about the guy that was really interesting. And then when I did meet him at the event, I had lunch with him and another friend uh, kind of by happenstance, not planned. And I learned even more, which gave me more fuel for the interview. So, man, we go deep here. In fact, of the 60 men in that room, most of them said to me afterward, like, man, that interview, we didn't know what to expect, exhibit at a GoBundance event, but that interview was like worth the price of admission of being here. The lessons learned, the intricacies of his life, the information that we came up with, and the entertainment. The dude is an amazingly entertaining guy, and you'll get that from this interview. Uh, we're top-notch. So I loved this interview. It's one of my favorites, if not maybe my favorite of all time at this point. I hope you all get a ton of value out of it. Be sure to like, subscribe, drop a comment below. Let us know what you think about this particular interview. And again, go to GoBunks.com and apply uh, if you want to be part of this incredible community and meet people like Alvin Joyner Exhibit. But until then, let's go check out this interview live from San Francisco at our champion event with Alvin Joyner. You probably remember this guy from Pimp My Ride, but before that, he, as you say, changed the whole game with his rugged sound, right? So he was a platinum recording artist He's an actor in shows like Empire, movies like Eight Mile, Gridiron Gang, Triple X State of the Union. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. We're going to talk a lot about his company, Napalm, and he's a partner of a member uh, of GoBundance right here in the room. We'll talk about that as we start off. But let's give it up for Exhibit, Alvin Joyner. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you. How's it been so far? I mean, first of all, let, let me say thank you to the group for allowing me to be here as a guest. 
Um, this has been a very eye-opening experience and to be around so many like-minded individuals and so many entrepreneurs is a blessing for me, so thank you. Yeah. 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 So some question, the first question might be, why the hell is Exhibit at a yeah. this event? Maybe, maybe some of you had that. Who's spent five minutes with Jerry? Anybody? All right, this will be relevant for a few of you. If you know Jerry, uh, intensity is the word that really defines Jerry. So we're in Miami uh, in an Uber trapped with Jerry, me and two other guys. Just kidding, Jerry. <laughs> and I hear this voice come out of the back seat, Jamie, how fucking cool would it be to have fucking exhibit in fucking San Francisco? I'm like, be cool, man. Turn, calm down. He's got this vein popping out of his head. He's getting all excited. So, so I'm like, why do you... From China, now living in Philadelphia, how the hell do you know Exhibit? He's like, oh, we're business partners in, in a cannabis company. I'm like, oh, well, that just, that doesn't make any sense, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with it. We'll go with it. So we're here. We got you here. And I'm, yes. uh, it's been exciting to get to know you a little yes. bit. Let's start uh, at the beginning for you. I flew here from Detroit. That's where you grew up. Right. Um, you had a, a pretty tragic beginning, right? Your mother, when you were nine years old, I think, yes. passed away. Yes, I was born in, in Detroit, Michigan. Um, you know, both my parents were, well, first, to back up a little bit, my father was uh, was was like uh, uh, was like uh, David Osborne's father. He was he was coming from from Vietnam. Met my mother in college. Um, really hardcore dude, and he did two tours. And so that's kind of how you know they started, you know, the family. Um, I was born in 1974. Um, you know, uh, both my parents at that time were educators. Um, and so it was like they, they, they used their lesson plans on us. I would go to school and I would come home and then they would do their lesson plans on us as well. So, you know, that's kind of how life was. And so my mother passed away when I was nine. And then um, that, was a, that was like a really tough time for me. Was it expected um, at all or no? No, no. Uh, my mother passed away from like heart um, uh, uh, complications because of over obesity. Um, after that, you know, my dad got remarried um, immediately, and that kind of messed my head up a little bit too. And so, you know, we ended up going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Like that's where she wanted to live, all right? So it was a big transition for me to, to go from um, uh, uh, urban setting into a desert setting, and you know, going from like having lots of family members around to being, you know, now in the step family arrangement. So it, it was it was a really tough, turbulent time for me. So that built up a lot of anger. And so that was kind of like what was like sitting on me as a kid. Yeah, now when you were in Albuquerque, I think at some point, did you go into a group home or, or something to that effect? Yeah, yeah, you know, when, when I got to Albuquerque, um, uh, we were like the only black family there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, this was like the 80s, you know, so. So, you know, um, so I'm trying to adjust to, you know, my mother passing. I'm trying to adjust to all these other things. Long story short, man, I, I just was like living this anger. You know, I was I was doing a lot of things in the street. I was, you know, I was trying to, you know, I was going against everything my father was trying to do for me and, and to bring to me. So, you know, um, my dad relied on the best thing he knew possible, which was the, the Marine Corps. Mm. So what he did was he started, you know, like the corporal punishment, you know, we all, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it was a long time before my father, uh, father even hugged me, yeah. right? So I was like really just used to that abrasive ass nature, and so you know, um, my dad would do shit like, you know, like the the when the smacks didn't work, he would be a little more aggressive. So you know, I remember one time he um, 
he brought, uh, uh, I had fucked up really bad. So he brought this truckload of gravel and just dumped it in the yard. And so he put a, a, a square shovel and a wheelbarrow in front of me and said, uh, you know, you move this pile of rocks from this side of the yard to the other side of the yard. And that's what I did for a whole summer, right? Just, just, just that. I would get, have to get up at 5 a.m. and work till the sun went down. And then I would eat, go to sleep, be up at 5 again. So, so I did this whole thing that spent my whole summer like that. And so <clears throat> at the end, when I had moved the pile, he then had a truck come pick it up and take it away. He didn't even use the shit. You know what I'm saying? It was, <laughs> you know, it was... It was like that was that was the kind of things that he was trying to do to get through to me, you know. Um, so that ended up like really like um, like giving me a moral compass and giving me a backbone that a lot of my friends didn't have. But it still didn't stop me from getting in trouble. So um, one night I went out. I snuck out. But, well, to give you some context, my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. And they, you know, no birthdays, no holidays, no none of that shit. I wanted that shit so bad. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to feel normal. So I, I, I you know, I ended up going, you know, um, sneaking out to a Halloween party. I was never invited to any parties. I got invited to this Halloween party. I wanted to go. So, so I went out there and I got, you know, I, you know, I was in the party first time. Okay. Somebody handed me a beer. I was like, fuck yeah, you know, so I just drink the beer, right? And the first beer, awesome. So then I went, I tried to sneak, sneak back into the house. So my window was closed, right? My, snitch, my sister had snitched on me, right? And, <laughs> because she couldn't go. So, so I ended up, you know, like getting in trouble. So, you know, my, you know again, you know, my step, step family, my stepmom, my, my dad were very angry. They, they hit me with an ironing cord and put webs and stuff all over me. So um, I ended up, you know, running away. Went to my friend's house to the party I just left. I spent the night there, didn't know what to do. Went to school the next day. My first period teacher was like, what the hell is wrong with you? What happened? And I was like, listen, I snuck out. I wasn't supposed to. You know, my parents were, you know, that I, I would, this is how I'm disciplined. It was like, listen, no matter what that was, you don't deserve this, mm -hmm. right? Bad, huh? So I didn't, I, it didn't register because I was so used to being treated that way, right? And so um, they call social services, long story short, that's how I got into the system, right? Um, so when they went to court, my parents were, were very angry that this all had happened. So they gave up custody of me to the state. They, uh, they denied custody of taking me home. How so, old were you at this point? Um, I was about, I'd say about 13, 14. So, so, I had, so from then, I was kind of like on my own. Um, and so I had to do a little group home stuff and got through my little probation or whatever. And that's when I really started like writing. You know, I started writing my own music. I started writing my, my, writing my thoughts down in journals. And that's kind of how I like kept myself. Cause you know, remember I came from education. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing a lot of things that were self-soothing and like things that I had relied on and things that made me feel normal. And being able to process my thoughts and be able to write these things down along with music was kind of like where I was. What was the, your, your mother passes, your father remarries quickly, you're mm -hmm. angry. Mm -hmm. What was the source of it? Was this always the way? Was it always corporal punishment? You were beat from a young kid? Oh, absolutely. Kid? Is that what it was? Or absolutely. Or was it that my, your father abandoned your mother, it seemed like? No, that? no, it wasn't an abandonment thing. I think my father freaked out. Mm. He was with two kids. I got a sister, um, a very young, you know, we were just two years apart. And he didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as conversations as we, as with my father later on, he said he got married, he got married right away because he didn't know what to do. And he felt like having somebody in that position was the best thing he could do for me and my sister, which turned out to be the 
total wrong thing to do at the time. You know what I'm saying? So that's where, you know, it, it was, it, I was angry about a lot of things. But um, one thing I did is I turned that anger into accomplishment. And what I mean by that is that a, a lot of people come from my community and get consumed with anger and let, the, let, let it consume them to the point where it turns into self-destruction. I turned that anger into something that was different. I found exhibit. I found hip hop music. So now I can get in front of, my, of a microphone and I can kick and scream and curse and do all this stuff and not hurt anyone, mm. including myself. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, so it was like a win-win because, you know, the persona, if you listen to my music, it's very abrasive. Yeah. I say a lot of, you know, like sharp things. I say a lot of things that, you know, may not sit well with you at the moment, but that's how I felt. I'm not sitting well. So here's how I feel. And that's the kind of reason that, that, that I took all of these things that disturbed my childhood and found a way to use it to, to, to make a negative into a positive. And that was, that was how I actually came into, you know, finding the music. And, and hip-hop saved my life. Is that central? It's funny. I think of, like, John Mayer is just John Mayer, right? Right. But in rap, it's Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Exhibit, right? You have an, an alter ego. Correct. Is that because of the, the heaviness of the lyric and where people come from in the, in the hip-hop culture? Like, is that why you have this alter ego, this other name, typically? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people listen to my music, and then they, then they meet me, and be like, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, my gosh. It's true. It's like, you, you know, I'm not threatened. You know what I'm saying? But it's, but it, it's, it's fun because, because it's like, if you don't understand the culture, then, then, then you, it's easy to have uh, prejudice or misconceptions mm. or, 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 or preconceived notion of who I am. Yeah. You know, it's easy to judge when, from across the room, but until we take five minutes and talk to each other, you know, there's a lot of similarities in, 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 in the way that um, I and, and you and the people in this room have come from different backgrounds, but we all are trying to do the same thing. We want to take care of our families. We want to have success. We want to have genera generational wealth. We want to be able to get to a point of comfortability yeah. and be respected by our peers. Yeah. You know, same things. We just going through a, a different way. I didn't go to college. I didn't do any of those things, but I learned business by doing business and, and, and reading contracts and learning how things work in the business world. You know, I went the long way around. You know, uh, a lot of these things I didn't understand when I was getting into them. But, you know, I went to the school of, of fucking hard knocks. Yeah. You know, you got to get in and, and you got to get in somewhere. So I was willing to, you know, take a loss in some aspects. But at the same time, you know, I'm in the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, how did you get the name exhibit? I'm curious about that. I, never, <laughs> I couldn't find anywhere. Look, where did that name come from? Um, when I was young. I don't know if you guys understand, you know, like uh, the, the evolution of rap music. You know, it was like MC this, MC that, MC, you know, all these MCs back in the day, MC Hammer, you know what I'm saying? Young MC, all these people <laughs> had the word MC on there. On, on there. So it was, it, was, uh, it was a point of I didn't want to, um, you know, copy that. I wanted to be different. So I went to the opposite end of the spectrum. And um, one day I was, at, you know, I was at school and I was like seeing one of my raps and they was like exhibit A on display. And they was like, hey, you know, you, the, there it is. You know what I'm saying? I, so a little, so I started calling myself exhibit A. 
Um, eventually, Ebonics kicked in. I don't know if you guys know what Ebonics are or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I dropped the A, put the X and the Z, and then it became Exhibit. Yeah. So, you know, that's how I started writing, you know, as, as, as a stage name. Amazing. Yeah. Now, does anybody remember this guy prior to Pimp My Ride? Do you guys remember the music, the, the albums, right? Some of us do. Many of us do. If you can't listen in the late 90s, early 2000s to a Dre album, a Snoop album, an mm -hmm. Eminem album, of course your own, mm -hmm. without you being on multiple right. tracks, right? right? How'd you fall into that crew? I mean, that's, a, that's like the, today's version right. of hip hop is all rooted in that, in that, right. in West Coast. I mean, Coast I come rap. from the same thing. I mean, I came from the same thing. I grew up a fan of these people um, before I got to work with them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because my first record that I ever put out, I got signed the first year my son was born because I had my first son when I was 20 years old. And I was so fucking scared because I didn't have income. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything except this, you know, I was coming from Albuquerque. This point you're in LA, right? Right, I had, yeah. I had moved to LA. Yeah. I went there at 17 years old with a black and purple Geo tracker, $3,000 <laughs> and, and some cross color clothes. Right. And so when I got to L.A., this is all I had. You know, a friend of mine said he lived by himself. And um, when I got to L.A., um, I called him because this is way before pagers or cell phones. I was at the beach and I went there because I, I was waiting for him to call me back. So he didn't call me back till the next day. So I was just like waiting for this phone call. When I got the phone call, I was like, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm in L.A. He was like, listen, man, you know, um, uh, I live with my parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you can't come here. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, cool. So, so I, ended up, uh, I ended up, you know, going and seeing his family. I had nowhere else to go. And I wasn't going to go back to Albuquerque. So I was like, listen, you know, um, here's what I have. You know, allow me to kind of stay with you and, you know, let me figure out, you know, what my next step is going to be. And it, just, and it just started from there. I, started, I was couch surfing for a minute, but I just refused to go backwards. I always tell people, you know, I never had a plan B. Mm. Plan A is going to work. It may take some work. I may mm. take a little time, but plan A is going to work. And so when I got to finally, you know, recording and meeting, I met up with a group called the Alcoholics, King T. You know, these are the first people I knew with real record deals. So once I started, like, kind of associating with them, I was carrying crates. I was waiting for my opportunity. And then I started the battle rap circuit, started doing all these other things that kind of like way before the record deal happened. Once I got my first, you know, my first record deal, you guys are going to love this shit. When I, when I got my first record deal, um, it was, I was signed to a production company. The guy that was making the beats in the studio, you know, there was an interest in me now, right? Because I had done all this legwork in the underground. Um, and there was, it, he signed me to a, a production company called Jack Move Productions. Jack Move Productions should have told me right there it was some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So, so, so literally, I mean, the, the, I, you know, uh, you know, I get this offer, you know, the offer is for $150,000 to record my first album, right? It's the, the, like that number at the time seemed astronomical, right? So as an advance, they give you 10% of that, right? Um, so the, my son was right, right about, was about to be born. I, you know, this, all this happened at the same time. And so um, literally, the guys brought my advance and met, had me meet them at Barney's Beanery on Santa Monica Boulevard and literally handed me $15,000 under the table. <laughs> it was like, it, to me, it felt like a million dollars. Sure. 
because it was like all this like stuff I had like 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 been working for it had just come to fruition. Now you know, um, like hindsight, it was like the worst thing that could have possibly happened. But I was able to actually that was my tuition into the game. Why was it the worst thing that could have ever happened? Because you because it was a, a horrible record deal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was it was like a horrible deal. You know, but. That was my tuition into the game, sure, sure. right? Yeah. And so, so um, I took this money home, and and you know, my my girlfriend was really happy, and you know, the, it was like, oh my god, it was it was like a, a breath of fresh air. Um, my first single came out and went gold immediately, mm. boom. And so this was like, I'm on my way. It's just paparazzi, right? Paparazzi, yeah. but it was different because it didn't go gold in America. <laughs> My first single was sampled from a Barbra Streisand opera song. And it turned out that this was the, the biggest song next to the German national anthem that was going on in Germany. It was like the shit in Germany, right? <laughs> so I get this opportunity, like they was like, yo, you're gold, you're gold in Germany. <laughs> so my first touring experiences were, were overseas. Once I got once once I got overseas, I was bigger overseas than I got to be here. So so that was kind of like how I came into the game. Now how I got with Dr. Dre was like during my third album. That I, I was making a name for myself. I was holding my own. There wasn't you know I was signed to an East Coast label, but a West Coast artist. I was figuring out how to make these things work, yeah. and I had a presence in hip hop. You know that was the first step. Um, Dr. Dre is arguably the the mastermind and one of the biggest like creators and producers in in, in music, mm -hmm. not just hip hop, in music. So to get his attention, you know, uh, I got a phone call from him one day, and and it was like like getting a call from you know man, what the fuck? Yeah, Dr. Dre he wants to talk to me. So then he was like, listen, I got a song. Snoop Dogg wants you to do a single with him. Well, not a single. He just wants you to do a song mm -hmm. that turned into a single, right? Um, once we did that single, he invited me to get, and see, this is an opportunity for like people that to, to you know, nobody likes desperate people, right? Uh, you, you, you shy away from people that, that work out of desperation, right? And so I was never that guy. Um, I was signed to a label. I was already had a name for myself. And so I ended up going over to uh, do this song with, 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 with Dre. I walked in the studio, he played the beat. I was done with my verse in 15 minutes. No kidding. I, I said I said the verse and and into the microphone and got it all recorded. Once it was done, I thanked him for the opportunity and I left. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about payment. I didn't talk about what. Well, what's up? Can you do something for me? Can you do something for my album? It was none of that. Mm -hmm. it, thank you for the opportunity and I left. He was impressed by that because everyone who comes around him asked him for something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then I was like, OK, cool. You know, look, I know this. You know, I, if it's going to happen from here, I want it to be on the merit of my talent and my work ethic. Right. So immediately it started. Uh, it, 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 it took off. It did really well. He ended up asking me to be on his album, which is the 2001 album. Right. And then after that was after that came out, that became a success. It was a song I did with Eminem and Dr. Dre. Right. It came out as a single as well. So then after that, I got invited to go on tour. That was the moment my life changed. Wow. Right? On the Up and Smoke tour. What are you making in, in, in hip hop these years? Is this seven figures per year, more? What, what oh, no, I told you it was a horrible contract. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told you. I already told you. I already told you it was whack. So yet all these things are happening 
But yet still, you know, look, it's like it's called the music business for a reason. Yeah. I was I was into the music part. I didn't understand the business. You know, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a GoBundance. I didn't have uh, I didn't have people. I didn't have a Jerry. I didn't have people around me. They, I just had people that wanted to good time and party because I was popular. Sure. Right. So I didn't really give a shit about the business. I was like, ah, they're going to take care of it. Big fucking mistake. You know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, there was, there was a saving grace, right? The saving grace was um, I was able to turn that whole experience and, 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 and become bigger than life and renegotiate as I went into other deals, sure. right? Yeah. And so my first three albums, you know, my first two albums, I have, I don't own, you know, so I didn't own. But when I got to my third album, I was able to renegotiate. And so now everything that I, for my third album to this day, I own 100% of. Nice. Right? And yeah. so, so that, was, that, was, that was good because I started understanding you know, what was happening because I was getting my royalty checks and they'd be like, what happened? Right. You know, I thought, I'm doing the math. I'm like, a CD costs $16.99. And now, okay. And then they just, like, wow, I'm only getting like, uh, like five cents. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, wait a minute. So it became, it became something that I really got in tune with and understood. And so, you know, that's what kind of like guided me towards, okay, you got to pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's good to be popular. It's good to be in these circumstances, but you got to pay attention to what's happening because at the end of the day, everybody's going home and they have jobs, but this is your life. Mm -hmm. So pay attention. I love it, man. I want to. I love the perspective, by the way. The yeah. mindset around that. Yeah. In the real estate world, we talk about this in terms of you know your first or second deal you lose money on. That's just tuition, right? Absolutely. That's kind of how you looked at it. Absolutely. It's tuition, and and it was your your uh, your college uh, uh, fee, if you will. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to pimp my ride, but one thing that uh, jumped out. You mentioned paparazzi, your first hit. Mm -hmm. uh, that was uh, Tupac took exception to that song. Yes. Really, right. So for those that don't know, Tupac wrote a song called. How Do You Want It, which is one of my favorite songs. Uh -huh. Anybody remember that song, How Do You Want It, Tupac? <laughs> John, man, I didn't know you're such a rap fan, dude. <laughs> I mean, you look like it. Yeah, you got that rap look. Um, he was that kid in the front of the concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atlanta's most wanted over there. Um, but he wrote this song, and in the song, he talks about, like, all I want is money, mm -hmm. the hell with the fame, and then mm -hmm. you had a lyric that kind of played on that, and he assumed right. that was you talking to him. He was huge at that point. Right. Was that a boost for you? Are these beefs in rap, is that what they are? Is it a marketing ploy, yeah. or was that No, real? it's what not marketing. That? It could get pretty dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talk through that a little bit. What, what happened? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah, especially with Tupac, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, no, but it got, it, you know, <coughs> um, that was a big deal, yeah. you know, because he name checked me on the record. Yeah. But actually, it wasn't him he did it. It was yeah. a guy named Idi Amin, yeah. who was part of the outlaws in this group. And uh, recently, I just did a song with Idi Amin, and it, it was a long time coming. But we had a discussion about that. He said Tupac was a big fan of mine, and it was just like, you know, at the time, it was so many people coming at him yeah. from different angles that he just thought I was joining with that momentum. But, you know, really, paparazzi, if you listen to it, it's about my love for music, my love, what I'm bringing to what I think hip hop is about. And so it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's about a feeling. It's about what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the culture? And that was the, like the whole meaning of the song. Mm -hmm. So when it, it wasn't a boost, it was kind of like it was it was it was it was a, a test of um, a, a, 
a test of 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 cultures. You know, like like is it is it the is it the David or is it the Goliath? Yeah. Is it the is it the people that still know the five elements of hip hop, or is it you know the corporate you know million dollar video you know uh, side of hip hop things that 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 we're paying attention to? And that was kind of like the the tug of war that was happening at the time. Interesting. All right, let's advance up to Pip My Ride. Now you've yes. become soccer mom famous, right? Yes. Like you've got you've got everyone in the, in the country knows yes. you at this point. How does that opportunity come along? How does okay. hardcore rapper exhibit right. become the guy on my MTV show every uh, every right. Sunday or whatever day it was? Right, <laughs> right. It was it was it was pretty incredible that when Pip My Ride came along because at the time, uh, what we you know being on reality television was frowned upon. Mm. It was it was you know like now, yeah, you know you got people doing like, you know serial commercials with hip hop and you know you see <laughs> Cardi B selling you know Dixie cups and you know what I'm saying all these other things that are happening but I mean at the time you know nobody from my you know genre was was doing reality television so when we did Pimp My Ride it was literally um, a guy named Rick Herbitz uh, he was actually at the shop of West Coast Customs one day I was just in there you know telling horrible dad jokes and, and everybody was just, you know, just having fun. And in the office, they was like, hey, would you think about, you know, hosting a show? I was like, no. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I am exhibit. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, then, and, it, and so he was like, no, you know, I think you'd be good. So I was like, oh, let's do a little test run. At least do the test run. So we, so we literally did our first pro, the, the, the first like little, uh, little snippet we did was like, we went to some, one of his like, friend's houses. We went to his backyard. Somebody drove up. Um, I literally just put a hubcap and an air freshener in a car, and I was like, "There you go." You know what I'm saying? And and then he and then he was like, "Oh, thanks, man." Drove off, and then MTV bought 13 episodes, okay. right? From from just from that, and then from there it was like they put us on at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, right? The show literally blew up and became one of the main stays of the network at the time. And then it became a global thing. And then it became like, oh my God, this thing is super huge. Uh, West Coast Customs went from a, a, a garage about the size of one of these tables into a $10 million facility, like in, in a three year period. Yeah. Um, like we were literally in everybody's household, you know? And then the, the you know, like the, the, the um, the replays of it, you know what I'm saying? It just happened, happened everywhere around the world. I would go to Russia and I would see, you know, myself on TV speaking fluent Russian. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like fluent. You know, I would go, I would go, I would go to Germany and office no hostage office exhibit. You know what I'm saying? You know, so this thing became like, like now it be, it was very disarming. Yeah. So if people didn't know anything about my music, all of a sudden they started knowing my personality through the TV show. And nothing I did on that show was scripted. All that stuff was off the cuff, right? And so it was really dope for people to see how I talk to my family and friends. You know, like that's Thanksgiving talk, the way that we're having conversations, right? And so then it became like interesting to me to be like, oh man, this is, there's something beyond rap that I can do. Right. I don't have to stay in this box. You know, I, I can go out and be a trailblazer and I don't mind being first. You know, I take that as a challenge, mm. you know, and that's what led me to doing films and all these other things. Do you take any any crap from anybody in, in rap about being like, oh, absolutely. Pure? Was the main guys like the businessmen, the Dr. Dre's or was it more? No, the business guys got it. Yeah, I was going to say. I they was like, oh, shit, he's on everybody's TV. Yeah. We love it. Right. But my peers yeah. were like, man, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> 
what are you doing? <laughs> like, bro, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on, man. Like, like we got to get back to the violent shit. You know? I was like, no. <laughs> No, we, we're, this, is, this, is, this is an opportunity to go forward, but I understood it. My team didn't understand it until it became like, oh, my God, he's, like, transcending past hip-hop. Yeah, were you paid uh, just as talent, or did you get, a, like, $10 million operation? Did you get <laughs> a part of that? No. <laughs> Could you have? No, no, no. It was, it was very clear from the beginning that um, ownership was not on the table. Got it. I came in, my first episode, my first season of Pimp My Ride was $5,000 an episode. Wow. And I was like, it, it wasn't Pimp My Ride, Pimp My Ride yet. It was just like something that MTV was trying. Right. Then it blew up. And then I was like, uh, guys, like, yeah. like this shit ain't cool. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So, and so every year they would just increase it like by a lot more, like a lot more. And then, you know, at the end of at the end of this, the seasons, I was getting like seventy five thousand an episode, mm -hmm. which still is a drop in the bucket sure. because the first season of Pimp My Ride, they made four hundred million dollars oh, in advertising. Wow. No kidding. And you Absolutely. got what, 60 grand. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Something like that. Interesting. So it was it was again, this was like this. This is the way the music business it was working at the time. Yeah. Right. So but again, it's like, you know, you you had a, a crossroad at that point. Like, yes, the money will piss you off, but the audience doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. You know what you look like when you go to the audience and say, oh, man, they're fucking me. They're fucking me. They're they don't give a shit about who you're talking about. They're looking at you yeah. like you dumbass. Why did you why did you why did you fall for that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So so it's a reflection of, of, of what it is. So now it's up to you to kind of. OK, cool. So let me let me figure out how to turn this negative into a positive. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because if you stuck in that cycle, then you'll be in your head and you'll end up, you know, just really pissed off all the time. And I, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I, I'm looking for solutions. I'm not looking for blame. I'm not looking for problems. I'm looking for solutions. Right. And so by the, when, my, when my contract was up, I just didn't renew it. Mm. That was it. They, they juiced it. They squeezed it as much as possible. And then when it was time, it wasn't the show was not canceled. They wanted to keep going. I just like my my contract is up. I owe, no longer owe you this obligation, you know. And you know, if ownership is not on the table, then I'm gonna just take my ball and go play in Miami, like LeBron said. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, show ends. Yeah. This is what 2010, 11, somewhere in that range. Is that yeah. about right? Yeah. You get a, a pretty decent sized bill at a certain point within a year or so after. That oh yeah, that, right? because because check this out. So now, um, you know. As I'm doing this show, now I'm not allowed to go out and do my other things. I can't go tour. I can't record albums, which was my main source of income at the time. Um, and so I got to, I, I, again, I didn't have, you know, good advisors around me. I didn't have a good business manager. I built up a, you know, a $2 million tax debt, you know, and, and it was really kicking my ass because, you know, as popular as I was, I wasn't. I was hiding the fact that I was in financial distress. Mm. I was hiding it. I wasn't sharing it with people, you know, that could have helped me, right? Because nobody was willing to help at the time. But I was super uber popular. Mm. Go outside, like, ah! But when I went home and checked my bank account, it didn't scream like that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it was more like, <laughs> so this is a point at which you find your way uh, into the cannabis industry, correct? No, I mean, actually, you know, it was actually I had to take 
I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. I, I mean, I, what I love is about this is that you guys are uber smart. You guys are uber successful. And so now, I'm, uh, yeah, but, but the vulnerability that I hear from some of you guys when you come up here and talk is very inspiring. So, you know, I've heard about alcoholism. I've heard about, you know, abuse. I've heard about, you know, people, you know, taking advantage of, of people hitting rock bottom and coming back up. I did the same thing. I sat on a couch for about five years. Oh, wow. I sat on a couch just drinking every like, top of the morning to the, to the end of the day or, or, or till I passed out. Waking back up, you know, doing it all over again, feeling sorry for myself, being mad at people. You know, the, these people are going on with their lives. They don't even know where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? But I'm sitting on this couch like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it, it did me no good. Yeah. Nothing happened. So, so you know, I, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I got, I got I, my son, you know, my family. Um, they, they, they didn't, they didn't quite get it because I was in my head. And so one day I was just like, you know what? You know, I got my peers making fun of me. I got, you know, the publications rejoicing in, you know, the, the, my downfall. Yeah. They think it's done, they think it's over. And a lot of my friends had like taken off, you know, telling me what they think, what I, you know, what I should have did and all this other stuff. And, you know, they took off. So I was sat there by myself for like, four, for like five years. I sat there and um, one day I put the shit down and I said, I have to change this. Um, nobody can do this but me. Yeah. Me being mad at them is not affecting their bottom line, okay. right? So I just put one foot in front of the other. I, started, I just started by going and just doing something that I love, which was music. I went to the studio, started making some music, started getting my pace back. Found some, found some, you know, found some clarity. They actually did me a favor. When everybody cleared the house, that's what I needed. Mm. I needed to get my space back to make myself whole again, right? And then I started making, you know, better decisions because I'm not thinking for a group anymore. I'm thinking for myself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how I got into, you know, I, I got to stop relying on music and entertainment to pay my bills. Mm. I want to do music because I love to do music, not because I have to. So let me find another way to create different revenue streams. Yeah. And that's how I get, got into cannabis. Yeah. Right. So talk about Napalm. Is this, did you start right with Napalm? Was no. It, did you start the company no, or did no. you, how did you kind of get into no. it? What was my, the beginnings of that? My first company was a, was a vape company called Brass Knuckles. Okay. Right. Brass Knuckles argue, arguably was the biggest vape company in the world at one point, you okay. know, because it was the before the traditional market. We had just we, we had just came out of nowhere. I had a guy that came from small retail format. He was buying milk and ice cream programs for Circle K. And then there was a guy that just had a lot of like influencers and like people that understood, you know, where the best cannabis was. California was the hub of the best cannabis at the moment. Yeah. Right. So we came out of nowhere. We started with six thousand carts. We took that six thousand carts. And then we, you know, we were selling, by the time we got done, we were selling 150,000 carts a week at $30 a piece. Wow. And so that really added up really quickly, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, so our, our last year together, we, we, you know, we hit like $60 million, mm. right? And so, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And of course, we didn't have the corporate structure. It was just like, you know, guys, we were fucking, I'm pretty sure we did things incorrectly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Considering you know what's in this room, 
But, but for us, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. You know, that was it. Um, I was able to do things that I had never done in, in my life, mm. right? And so, you know, the first thing I did was um, I paid my taxes. <laughs> How did you pay your taxes? Yeah. How'd you pay them? Um, I paid my tax. I mean, this is funny. This is a funny story. Um, I went to, uh, you know, I went to the IRS and a franchise tax board with cash. <laughs> there's only me. There's only one. We got it up there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those, are, that, that thing over there. That was my franchise tax board payment. And then those, those checks right there. If you, if you, uh, if you look at them and zoom in on them, it'll show you the price amounts that I had to pay per year that I was delinquent. So I had to pay the, the penalties. I had to pay everything down, and I paid almost two point three million dollars in cash to pay my taxes off. <laughs> In cash. Now, you guys will be like, why did you do that? Just get on a payment plan, bro, and then you'll be good. <laughs> but that had been said. There's certain things, there's certain things that you do that make you sleep better at night. And then there's certain, th there's certain like, investments that you do. That I needed to do that just to shut the things off in my head that I had let affect me for so long. Right. So um, I was able to pay these things off. And, you know, I bought myself a beautiful house. I took care of my family. I was able to do all these wonderful things. Um, but uh, like all good things, you know, they come to an end. You know what I'm saying? So, so um, I, you know, my, my, my partners that were with me became really, I mean, these guys, like I told you, they, they, they weren't millionaires when we started this thing. But, you know, they walking around with security guards now and, you know, everybody's dr driving Ferraris and, you know what I'm saying? It's like we did the total opposite thing that you're supposed to do. Yeah, we just good time. Fuck yeah. yeah. You know? And so, and so, so from there, it was just like, okay, cool. You know, like. Um, you know, what are you guys doing? It became greed. Greed took over from the whole thing. And then he stood with bootlegging the things, selling them across the nation. It was just becomes, you know, it, it, we got hit pretty hard. So, you know, me being the biggest name in the group, I decided to be like, look, guys, there you go. I'm out. You know, um, it was it was it was it was easy to walk away from because. I'm the one that created and built the brand name, yeah, sure. right? And it, just like Pin My Ride, it was riding on my back because, you know, people trust me. Mm. People trust what I'm doing because I've been so, you know, I've been an open book from the beginning, yeah. right? And so, you know, I just started my own brand, Napalm, which is based off one of my albums sure. um, that I did in 2012, the word Napalm. And so I was like, damn, that sounds like a good you know, that sounds like a great name for a cannabis brand. One thing I understand is marketing, right? I've been marketing myself since I was a teenager. So I know how to boil down a message, uh, a mission a mission statement, boil it down into one or two words, jam that shit into something that makes sense and relates to the people I've been talking to for 30 years, right? So this is, this is what I do. I'm good at that. Now I'll go move some pallets. I'll drive the fucking truck. If you want me to drive a forklift, I'll drive the fucking forklift. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what I'm best at. That's not what I'm, my best suit is, mm. right? So now I've been able to, you know, learn all these things, incorporate everything I've learned from entertainment and from my first cannabis experience and do this thing called Napalm. Amazing. Yeah, the, uh, the partners on vape, where is that today? Where are they today? Well, you, well, the thing is, is, it's been through a whole mess of things. People still, you know, talk about brass knuckles, right? Oh, right. Um, That's right. I'm sorry. Brass right, knuckles. right. People still talk about brass knuckles. Now, you know, they, they still feel like there's value in it, but, you know, 
to me, it's just a competing brand to something I just started now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. You know, the, 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 I don't know what's going to be the end end of Brass Knuckles. But for right now, it's just tucked away in the shelf. You know, Napalm uh, caught some flack recently, last few years, mm-hmm. from uh, particularly the Asian-American community came mm-hmm. after you for the name, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of connotation with Vietnam, how mm-hmm. Napalm was used and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you clapped back, and you did it in such a way that I thought was really interesting. You can go to his Instagram and see this, but uh, it's essentially him saying, hey, listen, I am really sorry to all of you that I've offended with the name Napalm. Uh, I am here to learn, so please reach out to me. I want to learn more so I can understand how this is offensive, and uh, the name isn't changing, essentially is what... <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I did it because you can't say, hey, guys, fuck you. This is bullshit. I'm not changing it. You know what I'm saying? Because if they use your words, it's like a straitjacket. You know, so so you got to This is this is the way I did it. You know, I, I, I'm not a political guy. I'm not a religious guy. But 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 one thing I do, I do have is integrity. And, and I'm, I'm not bigoted towards anyone. You know, I, I just don't carry myself that way. Um, I was being called a racist. I was being called, you know, like like all these other things that after all these years, it's like, you guys know me. This is not me. Now, the funny thing is, it's like um, when I had the, when I put the album out, Napalm, in 2012, nobody seemed to have issue with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's because people, you know, in my industry saw that I was coming out again and I was making money. I was continuing on when they tried to stop me. They tried to knock my legs out from under me. Yeah. I was continuing on. And I, and, and I was proving the fact that, you know, the buck stops with me. I'm where the rubber meets the road when it comes to this cannabis shit. And so then it was like, okay, um, you have to use your platform to try to come after me. If I start arguing with you on my platform, you're gonna now have the same volume that I have. Mm. So I'm not going to give you the opportunity to say that. Good luck. I'll see you on the battlefield. Because yeah, sure. I'm going to go and all I got to do is just speak my truth to my fans. And they're going to look at you like, who are you? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's exactly what happened. Turns out one of the people that was leading the charge and trying to do the stuff behind the scenes was one of my disgruntled employees. Oh, okay. And they're not even Asian. You know what I'm saying? It was like, <laughs> it was like, bro, like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so that panned out good, man. We don't deal with the woke shit. We don't deal with none of that. This is about business, and this is about you know what we're getting, what we're getting across, you know, to to to, to the people that that want to that want to be involved in our businesses yeah. and the people that want to be you know a part of a part of our journey. And that, that's how we did it. I like this. Exhibit takes down wokeness. That's yeah, the, yeah. That's the, uh, the headline in TMZ. Um, Napalm now, and maybe for the next three to five years, what, what are you doing? What's the future? What does it look like? What's the company look like? <clears throat> we, uh, we started April 2020, mm. which was like <laughs> pre-pandemic, yeah. you know. Right at it, yeah. Right? And timing is everything. Like, uh, like, like, uh, like, like, uh, like the, 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 the bearded one said earlier, you know what I'm saying? You know, timing is everything. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you want, you know, you, you know, it's like you said, you want, you want to be lucky than good. You know what I'm saying? And at the time I made a $150 joint. Now the people that don't, that don't consume cannabis, um, this is like unheard of. The pre-roll is like the non-sexiest uh, you know, thing in cannabis, right? It's like people put the, their shittiest weed in it, sell it for the cheap. It's like the end cap, right? In the last 20 bucks, somebody wants to throw away and they'll get a pre-roll. Sure. So we ended up making a glass jar 
that had, you know, looked like a pineapple, but then it turned out to be, hey, let's put a cap on this, and now it's a grenade, right? Mm -hmm. And so I made an eight-gram pre-roll with one, live alive, one, one gram of live resin and ended up turning that into a $150 joint, right? So we sold it wholesale for 50 bucks. They marked it up two times in, inside the dispensary. So they were going out the door for 150 bucks during a pandemic. People getting free money. Yeah. People sitting at home. They can't go anywhere. Fuck yeah, I'll get a $150 joint. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know? We ended up selling a shit ton of these things, yeah. right? So Napalm literally shot out of the gate during the pandemic, right? So, you know, my plan for, you know, it was a blessing to have that kind of market penetration so early on, right? So, so it just, we knew we were doing something right. Now we've expanded the menu, you know, we, we're, we're moving and shaking, um, you know, but we don't grow. You know, um, we don't cultivate. I never want to touch a plant. I never want to. I stay good at what you're good at, mm -hmm. right? So I look at a house plant and it dies. You know, so I know, <laughs> I know I'm not going to be good at being a cultivator, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with napalm, this has like been something that you know. Now I'm in control. I'm in the driver's seat. You know, um, and and now I need help, right? So along comes. Jerry Kleiman, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and his team, he came with Aspire. Aspire is, is our manufacturer for our hardware and, and, our, and our packaging, right? Um, huge company already, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they came over from the e-cigarette world and, and started like, we're gonna come over and take over um, cannabis. Mm -hmm. And hands down, the best, you know, relationship that, that I've ever come across, no bullshit, very accountable, means what he says, says what he means. What's not to love about him? And Jerry is intense. He can get to, when he gets to cursing, it's awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, Jerry, Jerry told us, he's like, what can I say, guys? I love two things, fucking and yeah. saying fucking. Same thing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was his thing. I love you, yeah. I love you. Thanks for letting us so share. So they, they came in, they came in, saw the operation we were doing, um, and was, was, was impressed with what we were doing, believed in what we were doing invested in the company, right? And it was, it was like, you know, that was the first time someone outside of a record company has invested in me. Mm. And I really, I'll just, I'll take the time and say, thank you very much for believing in me, bro. Like, like that was big for me, you know? And, and a, lot, a lot of people don't take the time and think it's them, but success is, is you know, it's is, is, is hard to attain, but with people like you, you know, that trust me, because trust is, is gained in, in, in drops, but lost in buckets. You know, and I appreciate everything that your company has done and the way that you saw me and you came in and brought your team in and it's been smooth sailing, you know? So we've been really, really blessed to have like people to come in now and it just feels like all these things that I've been through, all these horrible deals that I had to be a part of, now I'm in the driver's seat and I understand exactly how to handle, how to handle every situation going. All my T's are crossed, all my I's are dotted. It feels better to be in this position now. Man, amazing, yeah. amazing. Let's wrap up uh, recently. I want to talk about uh, marriage a little bit with you. Uh, yeah. you were, we were talking at lunch a bit about this. Matt, how am I doing, about five minutes, sir? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, you recently got divorced, or you're recently getting divorced yes. right now. Right yes. now. Tell me a little bit about, about that, because I thought you shared this story at lunch, and I thought mm -hmm. it was really compelling about how you look back at your marriage, which was an amazing story mm -hmm. to begin with. I mean, <laughs> sad but amazing. Yeah. Um, and how that informed, like what you saw from that point that led you to the decision now to end your marriage. So do you want right. to talk about your your wedding all the way through now? That, that, yeah, you know, you know, um, this, you know I, 
I always said I'm never getting married. You know what I'm saying? I always said that. For the black because uh, my parents, you know, like my childhood, you know, my parents used to scream and, and argue and, and scream at the top of their lungs. And like, it was just like, I, I just not good at that. You know, my dad failed in two marriages. I just, it's not for me, right? Um, after I got out of that five year stint, um, my, the, my, my girl at the time, my ex-wife at the time, um, she stuck with me through that. Can't take that away from her. She stuck with me through that period and didn't like browbeat me, didn't tell me I was a piece of shit, didn't tell me to get up and do something, didn't, didn't do any of that. She just stood by and said, it's, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna get better. At that point, that's what I needed, right? But marriage is more than that, right? And so, so, so once I got back on my feet, and I was like, oh man, life is great. Brass knuckles is cracking. I'm doing this. I'm now, now I'm doing tours again. I'm like, I feel great. Let's get married. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we did. Yeah. Right? Um, but as 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 things progressed, um, you know, but, but let me tell let me tell you this. So here's the big red flag. Uh, on my wedding night, I got arrested. <laughs> Let me tell you how this happened. <laughs> so we got married in Orange County, St. Regis, right? And we were staying at uh, this resort that was like, like literally like four or five minutes away from there. Um, we, get to, we get to the resort after the wedding reception, and she's like, oh, shit, the, uh, the box of uh, gifts and uh, envelopes and all this stuff, is, I, left it, I left it out in the lobby or whatever. You have to go get it. I was like, well, you know, um, fuck it, okay. You know what I'm saying? So, so I went to go get it. I, on the way back, I blew past the light. I was trying to get back to her, right? And so got stops. Caught, and I had changed my clothes, everything. I was just like kind of relaxed. I was on my way back. And he was like, you know, I was like, ah, I just got married. You know, I'm, you know, on my way back. You know, he, the cop was like, when I knew I was fucked when he said, okay, well, where's your tuxedo? I was like, oh shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, well, I changed my clothes and then it sounded like I was making shit up. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so then he, you know, he called, he called somebody that under the car came and they hooked me up, took me to jail. A lot of staff sergeant um, at the, who was on at that, at that time came in and was like, what the fuck are you doing? This guy just got married. He's like, oh shit, we didn't know. We thought he was lying. You know what I'm saying? And so the next day I was just like, guys, please, you know, like, um, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's try to keep this. I tried to call my lawyers and try to get it squashed because, you know, they, they, you know, they're going to have a field day with this. You know, this is going to be really bad. Right. And so when I got to the house, um, here's the red flag. She was asleep. And I was like, you know, she was like, where were you? I thought you would you go drinking with the friends. I was like, why would I go drinking on my fucking wedding night? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And so I was like, you know, I got arrested. And she was like, oh, stop playing. She thought I was joking. And the real red flag is she didn't call. She didn't call and see where I was. She didn't, she, it, it wasn't a concern to her. And I realized later on that the material things and the things that was really important to her didn't sit with me. Mm. It sat in what we were able to bring, mm. right? 
And so not saying that she didn't love me, but you know, like we had a child together, you know, it's, it just became like we were roommates. She didn't care where I was coming in. She didn't care if I was coming home. She didn't, I, I want to feel loved. Just like she wants to feel loved. I want to feel protected like she feels protected. You know, that concern, that, that you know, that caring, that following up. That's what we need. We don't need to be coddled and babied and all this stuff, but having a partner is, 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 is a different feeling than having a roommate. I feel like we are roommates, right? And so um, that's what made me get to the decision. You know, I, was, I spent three years in Chicago. I was on a TV show called Empire, right? She came to see me one time. Now that's, you know, to some people that's not a big deal. I mean, we're busy. She got, we got a kid in school, we got this. But one thing I learned at GoBundance was that when you guys schedule your date nights, you guys schedule the time with your families, the things that are important. Now, I, you know, I was blown away by three things, you know, like, like the, the, the point of, you know, just do the three things that, that move the needle and then delegate the other tasks to other people. Like I had a housekeeper and all this stuff, but folk like really wrapping my head around that and really like taking time out. Cause I, I used to be in really good shape. But now I, I, the excuse that I use is like, listen, I just need to get up and grind through the day and I get up early, I'll go to bed late, ha, ha, I'm a monster. But the, how productive are you being, right? And so now it's like, I have a different perspective on that. And, I, and, 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 and uh, even at lunch, you know, like these are things that I'm learning and, and taking away from the short time that I've been here as a guest and really like putting perspective into the things that I know that I don't do well, mm. right? And the things that I do well can be even sharper, right? And so that's what that's 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 how we get to you know the divorce, right? And so um, now I, I I you know I don't feel like it was the wrong decision because marriage is great. It get it, it it's it's another step towards you know being mature and accountability and, and caring for people other than yourselves and, and taking care of your children and, and having that structure. But if it's not healthy, then it, you know, you got to move on and you got to do the right thing. Cause you know, our parents, our, our parents' parents did that. They stayed in horrible marriages and then they beat the shit out of each other and did all these weird things to each other. And so, so I don't want that. You know, I, I just think being totally honest and open with, with what's going on in your relationship. And if it's fixable, fix it. But if it's not, you know, you have to do what's healthy, right? Not not what's right, because you have to do what's healthy. Yeah, yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah, man, I appreciate you opening up this much. Yeah. Give it up. Yeah, Alvin, join us. That's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.